take a seat. And I'm sure it'd be a help uh, to you, certainly be a help to me to know that you're uh, following what was read just now. So uh, you may like to turn to it in your uh, leaflets, or you may want to turn to it in the Bible on page 1045. We've just been uh, singing about the promises of God's Word, uh, and we're going to be uh, looking at God's words now together. So let's just uh, pray to him and ask him for his help. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word is true, that all that you promise within it will come to pass. And we pray that as we look at these words this morning, you would help us to know you, help us to know how to live rightly before you. And Father, we pray this not not that we look great, but that you are glorified as you should be in our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if you uh, would say that your life has been a success. I don't know uh, what you've done in your life, but uh, let's ask the question a slightly different way. If you were, say, speaking to your grandchild or to your own child and just trying to explain to them how to uh, make a success of their life, how to plan ahead for the future, what kind of things would you advise them to do? I guess you might well start by suggesting they get uh, some good exam results and work hard at school, Uh, go to university perhaps, get a good job with good career prospects, marry and have a family. Oh, and of course, as you get towards the age when you'd like to retire, make sure that you've made some good uh, pension provision. And of course, that's especially important these days, isn't it, as we wonder when the pensionable age will rise and when and where it will end up. I guess those kind of things sound good advice. I suspect we've probably said some of those things to our own family and friends too. But you know what? In our passage this morning, God says that that is not such good advice at all. Let's just spend a few moments this morning finding out why God does say that. Because if God thinks that that is not good advice then we need to listen to what he says. Just to set the scene for you this morning, these uh, words that we were reading are said in the context of Jesus uh, standing in front of a massive crowd, over a thousand people, and speaking to his closer disciples. Suddenly, in the middle of his talk to them, somebody intervenes and he says these words. You can find it at uh, the paragraph numbered 13 on your sheet, or uh, number 13 in the Bibles. Suddenly this man says to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Obviously it's uh, something that's greatly upon his heart, and uh, clearly he feels that his brother is wronging him. And on the face of it, the man's request sounds pretty justified, doesn't it? I mean, if one of your relatives was withholding an inheritance that you were due to get. Surely you might ask somebody else to help you out in getting what you deserve. And this man's just asking Jesus to intervene in his family situation. It may be he's been left some money and his brother's still got hold of it. It may be that uh, he's been left a share in the family camel business. We don't honestly know. 
But Jesus' response to the man is quite a surprise. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? You see, although the answer to this man's problem is, is relatively simple, and Jesus could probably have resolved it there and then, Jesus knows that there's a bigger issue at stake here. He knows that this man's most pressing need is is not the settlement of his inheritance, but it's the state of the man's heart. What this man's heart is longing for in the future. And it's consumed clearly with just wanting things. Possessions were what shaped his life and his future. And so Jesus' words are very telling. Verse 15. Jesus said to him, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Quite a challenging sentence or two to say to somebody when they come up to you like that. And I think it's a particularly uh, challenging message to us in our 21st century. We live in an extremely materialistic world, don't we? And of course, those of us who uh, live in Forward and in the uh, more affluent parts of Sheffield will know very much that possessions are all around us. We live in a very materialistic world. You only have to go down to the, the high street and every shop and every business is advertising that their products are the must-have items. If you're going to be successful and fulfilled in this life and in the future, well, you need to have what they're offering. And people keep on being sucked in. Do you know that feeling? The pressure to upgrade your computer or your car or your house, even though they're perfectly adequate already. The pressure to get all that you can, and and then when you've got enough, well, to go on getting more. That's what the world says matters. It's maybe what your life says matters to you. But Jesus says that that is greed. Greed is the desire to keep on stocking up for the future and finding our worth here and in the future in what we have. Our possessions define who we are now. And the possessions that we want for the future define our future. And what Jesus is saying here, very clearly, is that if that is what is driving our lives, if that's what's driving the future we want, then we're going in the wrong direction. And he tells this man a very short story. It's a parable to help him understand what he's really on about. And we're going to spend some time looking at that together this morning. Let me just uh, read to you the beginning of it uh, from paragraph 16, 17 and 18. Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Here is a man that most of us would have said was very successful and very prudent. He is planning well for the future. 
He makes a wise investment in the beginning in buying a piece of land. He then uses that investment wisely to get a good harvest. Oh, of course, he, he, he worked hard, blood, sweat and tears, night and day. He was out there doing his bit, making sure that he would get the money for the crops that he was growing. And then, of course, his business plan. That was developed brilliantly, wasn't it? I haven't got enough uh, buildings to house what I've got. I'll build bigger ones and then fill them. All he's about is maximising his gains and profit to store the riches that he wants now and for the future. In short, this, this man sounds like a great candidate, doesn't he, for businessman of the year. I don't know if you watch uh, TV, there's a, there's a programme on there called uh, The Dragon's Den, where investors pitch for, to uh, give their money to people who are would-be entrepreneurs. I guess this rich man would have been someone they would have wanted to invest, not just part of their money, but all of their money in. A sure and sound investment for the future. And the end objective of this man's life? So that he can say in the future, you have plenty of good things, verse 19, plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Surely he's a success. Surely he's got the future that you and I want. That you and I may be working hard for. And you and I, if we're already retired, would have been dreaming of. But you know what? God thinks otherwise. Just look at what his verdict is. Verse 20. God said to him, You fool. You fool. He's not saying that he's stupid because he's probably got PhDs, he's probably got MBAs, he's probably a, a very qualified person, he's clearly very bright. But the preparations he's making for the future are the wrong ones. He is looking for the wrong kind of future. Just listen to how the story goes on. God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. You see, there are two clearly defined paths here. Being rich to God or rich to yourself. I think this parable that Jesus tells highlights just two mistakes that this rich man has made firstly he is living he's living as if God doesn't exist and secondly he's living as if God will not judge him let's just spend a moment or two shall we just looking at those first off living as if God doesn't exist just listen to this rich man's business plan if you like we can find it in uh, verses or paragraphs 16, 17, 18 and 19. He thinks to himself, verse 17, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he says to himself, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. 
And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you see what he was doing? He was putting himself at the centre of his life. In fact, he was putting himself at the centre of the world. Because it's all about him and what he can do. Did you see that? It's all about I, my, myself and me. It's all about his possessions. And he's forgotten that, that God exists. He's forgotten that it was God who gave him his life in the first place. The God who gave him his wealth to buy the land that he had right at the beginning. It's God who gave him the know-how to till the ground, to sow the seed, and to make the seed grow. It's God who sent the sun and the rain so that the crops would grow, and so that he would have a harvest. But you know what? His view of life is not so different to ours, is it? If we're really honest. 20th century view of life today is that we live as if God's not there. We live for ourselves. We think that when we have worked and earned a wage, that wage is for us. We have earned it for ourselves to spend how we like on the things that we want. And you know what? Even worse than that, we think that we're right to live that way because everybody else around us is living that way, aren't they? But you know what? The reality, the reality, Jesus is saying, is very different. God does exist. And you know what? He's proved himself. He's shown himself. If, if you or I were in the shoes of that man who came up to Jesus, who had the inheritance problem with his brother, if we were that person, then we would have been speaking to God himself as we spoke to Jesus. Jesus, you see, is the evidence that God exists. God chose to come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you or I want the evidence, then look to Jesus. And as you read through, say, for example, the rest of this book of Luke that we heard read this morning, you'll find someone who could change water into wine. Someone who could feed 5,000 people with a little boy's packed lunch. Someone who could heal the paralysed and get them walking without any physiotherapy. Just with a word. But more than that, you find someone who could calm a storm with his words, walk on water and raise the dead. I couldn't do that and nor could you. But Jesus could. Jesus claimed to be God and by his words and by his actions he proved he was God and is God. It was a claim that got him executed on a hill, on a cross, outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Now if that had been you or I hanging upon that cross and there were others that hung on crosses next to him, then that would have been the end of the story. But these weren't normal circumstances. Three days later, three days later, Jesus had risen from the dead. His tomb was empty and hundreds of people saw him. Jesus is unique because he is God. He is no mere man. The great author C.S. Lewis 
He wrote the uh, Narnia series of books. He reminds us of the uniqueness of Jesus as the Son of God by saying these words in his, his book, God in Dock. God on trial, if you like. He says this, There's no parallel in any other religion. If you'd gone to Buddha and asked him, Are you the son of Brahma? He would have said, My son, you are still in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, Are you Zeus? He would have just laughed at you. If you'd gone to Muhammad and asked, Are you Allah? He would have first rent his clothes and then cut off your head. If you'd asked Confucius, Are you heaven? I think he would probably have replied, Remarks which are not in accordance with nature are in bad taste. You see, Jesus Christ uniquely is God and proved he was God and is God. God does exist. And this rich man, though he was very rich to himself, was not rich to God at all. And the truth was God existed then and he exists now. He wasn't rich where it mattered. As verse 21 says, he was not rich towards God. Didn't acknowledge him. Didn't acknowledge he exists. Believed everything was down to himself and himself alone. No wonder God said he was a fool. And you know what? He will say the same thing of any one of us who makes that same mistake. You see, Jesus tells us this story. He told the man on that day this story to tell us to watch out, be warned. We cannot make future plans thinking that God doesn't exist. And if there's anyone here this morning who hasn't been living as if God exists, as if, as if God is there, then I hope this morning you are very grateful indeed that God has given you this opportunity to realise the truth to stop and turn round in your beliefs and in your life. To start acknowledging God as God. To stop living as if you are God. Not just God of your own life, but God of your own future also. And that's why, that's why Paul was mentioning the Christianity Explored course earlier. We'd love here at Christ Church to help you to know Jesus personally. To know that he exists, and more than that, to have a relationship with him. We'd love to help you explore the claims of Jesus and know that truth for yourself. So that's the first mistake that this rich man makes. Living as if God doesn't exist. But the second one is almost worse. He lives as if God doesn't judge. The rich man was living as if he was the sole arbiter of everything he did in life. Believing that life was to be lived on his terms that he knew what the future held, that finally he could retire and live, as he says, an easy life, eating and drinking and being merry. But God said, you fool, this night your life will be demanded from you. This night, this night. Well, we've been very much reminded this last week, haven't we? And Paul, in the prayers earlier, we were praying for those who have been caught up in the tsunamis, the typhoons and the earthquakes. They've reminded us that death could come in an instant, could come just like that, 
We don't know when it will happen. And there are thousands and thousands of families torn apart this past week by death. One of the sad privileges uh, we have as uh, ministers and as vicars is taking funeral services. And I remember well a funeral service I took last year. It was for an Australian man. He and his wife had uh, travelled up for a long holiday visiting relatives in England. They'd been with uh, or in England for a week and they arrived in Wimbledon Park to stay with a family that was part of our church congregation. And uh, when he arrived on the Thursday, he was feeling a little bit fluey. So he, he went to the doctor and uh, the doctor said, I, I really think you ought to go to hospital. He was admitted to hospital that night. And by Friday night, he was dead. No one saw it coming. Life and the holiday was going on as normal. Plans for seeing the rest of the family. We like to think that we're in control of our lives and of our future. But death can come just like that. Jesus says here that the man's a fool because he's made provision for his life. But he's not made any provision at all for life after death. Because that is the real future in view here. That is the real future that you and I need to be preparing for. For the reality of coming face to face with God and receiving his verdict on our lives. A verdict that's, that's not de determined on whether we've been rich in this life, whether we've had all the possessions we have in our homes, but determined on whether We've been rich towards God. And that verdict of God is going to determine our eternal future. If we have been rich towards God, then we will be with him in heaven, enjoying all that's truly good and enjoying an eternal relationship with him. But the alternative is, quite frankly, not worth looking forward to at all. It's a future in hell without God and without anything that is good. You think of the good things in this life, you won't even see a glimpse of them in hell. That is the future to look forward to if we have not been rich towards God. Kind of makes you think, doesn't it, when you put life like that and when you put the future like that? And Jesus tells this story deliberately to make the man who came to him with an issue about his inheritance, he tells the story to make him look at his own life and change how he was living. A few weeks ago, uh, Ali and I were on holiday in Derbyshire and uh, we were down in the sort of Chatsworth, Buxton and Bakewell area. And uh, I don't know if you've been driving along those roads before, uh, but we kept on coming across those triangular signs that you see, which keep on warning you to drive carefully. It says something like this, warning, drive carefully. 13 motorcyclists killed or injured on this road in the past 12 months. You know, when death is put before you like that, it changes how you live, doesn't it? certainly changed how we drove. Same is true when we hear these words of Jesus and when we see that God's judgment lies before us. Jesus tells a story so that we see the danger, so that we change how we live, so that we live richly towards God. But you know, the trouble is that uh, each of us, 
each of us have at one time or another lived as though we're rich to ourselves, haven't we? We may still be doing that. And that means that you or I deserve the guilty verdict. And that should worry us because there's nothing that you or I can do to change that verdict. That means that you and I are in a hopeless position. But just as Jesus provided the answer to the question about whether God exists, Jesus also provides the answer to our problem about judgment. Because not only does he prove the existence of God, but he also provides the means by which we can be made right with God. Something he did when he died upon the cross, on that hill outside Jerusalem. He died on that cross in place of you and me. To pay the punishment that we deserve for all the ways in which we have lived, richly towards ourselves, but not richly towards God. Indeed, for all the ways that we will continue to live richly towards ourselves and richly and not richly towards God. And that means that today is a day that you and I can be set right with God. That I can truly know that I have the future, not that I want, but that I need eternity with God in heaven rather than eternity in hell. Any of us can have that, and all we have to do is turn to Jesus. Acknowledge who he is, that God exists. Admit that we've not been rich to him, but rich to ourselves. And accept his forgiveness. It's as simple as that. Jesus doesn't say to any of us, come to church and pray. He doesn't say, come and be baptised. He doesn't say, read the Bible. He doesn't say, give to the poor and look after the needy, and you will be saved. Jesus says, come to me. That's why the Christianity Explore course focuses on who Jesus is. Helps us to see who he is. Not just his claims, but also why he came, why he died, and what that means for you and for me. I started this morning by asking the question, how have you planned for the future? How would you help someone else plan for the future? And Jesus says here this morning, that the only way to plan for the future that we need is through him, by being rich to God through him. Otherwise we are planning for a future that will be gone in the blink of an eye, just like that. And we will find a future that we do not want and cannot get out of. In the story Jesus told that man who had the problem with his inheritance, those man's mistakes were very serious They cost him his place in eternity with God in heaven. And Jesus told that story deliberately as a warning. As a warning to that man. And he tells it to us as a warning too. He says, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up riches for himself, but is not rich towards God. It's not my verdict on you. It's not your neighbour's verdict on you. It's God's verdict on you. Could you be the person in verse 21 who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God? As you've been listening to what I've been saying this morning, have you said to yourself, yes, actually, I can see myself 
in that situation. I'm not really rich towards God. It may be that you're a newcomer. You've come as a visitor here this morning for the first time. It may well be that you're a regular here at Christ Church. You've been coming for many years. It may be that you call yourself a Christian. But as you have heard what Jesus has been saying, as you've been looking at your life, you realise that actually you're just living for yourself. The riches around your home, that's what your life is all about, not God. Well, if that's you here this morning, then uh, in a moment uh, I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer that we become wise in God's eyes. Let me just tell you the prayer I'm going to pray in advance so that uh, when I do pray it, uh, you'll be able to pray it with me if indeed you're at that stage when you realise that actually I've got living for, that I'm living for the wrong future, that I'm not rich towards God. Let me just tell you what it says so that you'll judge whether it's a prayer you should be praying. I'm simply going to say this. Dear Heavenly Father, I have been living as if you were not there. I have not had you at the centre of my life. Please help me to change. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Please forgive me. Please take over the running of my life and make me rich towards you. It's a very simple prayer. And let me just say that I'm going to say each sentence and pause. And if this is a prayer that you want to pray, why not echo that prayer in your heart, inside your head? Because as you do so, that prayer will be yours. It will be your conversation to God may well be that uh, you don't feel that, that prayer is for you. Then why not use the opportunity to say something to God that is appropriate to your situation? Let's spend a moment of quiet, and then I'm going to pray. Let us pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I have been living as if you were not there. I have not had you at the centre of my life. Please help me to change. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Please forgive me. Please take over the running of my life. And make me rich towards you.
we're going to stand and sing now our final hymn this morning. A reminder that God indeed has come down to earth. He has indeed revealed himself to us.